Today's episode is brought to you by MetPro. Hey, do you want to improve your health but not sure where to start? With thousands of health strategies available, identifying which one works for your body is extremely difficult. I know it was for me until I found MetPro. The key is to understanding and mastering your metabolism. So if you're looking for a high-touch experience working with a metabolic expert, or if you want access to the tools their industry-leading coaches use, visit metpro.co, that's metpro.co slash dose to take their assessment and speak with their team to learn which option is best for you. And hey, the Dose listeners will get up to one month free if you sign up. Head to metpro.co slash dose to take advantage of this opportunity. More on MetPro later in this episode. On today's episode, legendary musician and producer Neil Giraldo. What I like to do with the Three Chord Bourbon Company is get it to where, as a professional spirits company should be, and people are enjoying it, they're respecting the moment, they're engaging in conversation. But I I want the company to be known from a philanthropy fundamental. In other words, I would like to have that company do great, make lots of money, and I want to take it, I want to be the philanthropist behind the Three Chord Bourbon musical give back and do something that I can really help and support musicians all over the world. Because it's it's a thing I know, there's a lot a heartbreak uh, there's a heartbreak in everybody's careers but you know being a musician I've seen it I've seen people die from overdoses I've seen people's families get destroyed people not being home with their families I mean it's a it's a horrible thing it's a really tough business and it even got tougher with the digital world that's going on now Hey, welcome to The Dose, a show dedicated to deep and engaging conversations, highlighting individuals that are in the pursuit of authentic and courageous leadership who approach life with insatiable curiosity, bold action, and common sense in these divisive and uncommon times. It's my hope you take something away from each and every one of these conversations and apply it to your own life as we all intentionally attempt to become the best we can possibly be by living out our purpose and calling, committing to a life of service, and helping make this place better than we found it. What a thrill to have Neil Giraldo on the show. When I look at Giraldo's life and career as a musician, as an artist, as a husband, as a father, as an entrepreneur, two words come to mind, integrity and intuition. He began his professional career in 1978 as a key member of the Rick Derringer Band. In the spring of 1979, he met a young up-and-coming singer named Pat Benatar, who eventually became his wife. And that collaboration, of course, over the years, Neil has produced some of their biggest hits, including Love is a Battlefield and We Belong. But with a back catalog of more than 100 songs written and more than 45 million records sold, Geraldo has written, produced, arranged, and recorded for, of course, Pat Benatar, but also John Waite, Rick Springfield, Kenny Loggins, The Dell Lords, so many others, which include many Grammy-nominated and Grammy-winning hits. Today, Geraldo's career is as dynamic and diverse as ever. He's in the process of completing two books, one an autobiographical novel, the other a motivational book on the psychology of creating. He's expanding his Bel Chiasso Entertainment Company, which is developing a variety of television, film, Broadway theater projects. And then in May 2016, if that isn't enough, he founded Three Chord Bourbon. Celebrate creativity, community, and the tradition of bringing together, of course, music, love of whiskey, passion for conversations, family, friends. I love Three Chord Bourbon. Great stuff. He's utilized his new platform, his experiences to assist emerging musicians via the Three Chord Musical Ambassador Program. You can check that out at threechordbourbon.com. You're going to love this conversation. We talk about the core values of who he is as a father, how he got interested in music, the power and necessity of intuition, his style of playing guitar, geek out on music a little bit here, talk about limiting beliefs, self-doubt, leadership styles and making music, tenacity, confidence, perception versus reality. It's such a powerful conversation. I love this conversation. One of my favorites of all time here on Dose of Leadership. So let's get on with it. The one and only Neil Giraldo here 
on the dose. I've never done this before. I've never drank on my show, but I'm going to get this shameless plug out of the way. <laughs> I picked this up yesterday. Three chord strange collaboration. That's correct. That's a good salute. one. Oh, salute. Fantastic. It's really good. Yeah, that's one of the that's one of the expressions from my spirits company, Three Chord Bourbon, Steel Bending Spirits, as you see behind yeah. me, speaking of plugs. You this is a, a reserve, 12 year reserve. I'm pointing with my pencil. This you have the strange collaboration. Well, since you held that up, let me give you a little story yes, about it. Please. Um yeah. um so basically the spirits company started uh, May 16, 2016. And uh, the reason it began was, uh, other than being a songwriter, which is most of the time I live, I'm a, I'm a writer, musician, as you know, and producer and all these things. But I also write screenplays. And I was working on a, um, a, a kind of a hybrid documentary. And it, it had to do with the, the give back to the local musicians that I grew up with, uh, that were all, to me, fabulous players that should really be in the same position I am, you know, and and I wanted to give credit to them, put them on the screen and, and build like a story around them and just have a great time doing it. But with a give back, it was the whole part. The whole part of this thing was to give back. Right. So I, I a buddy of mine saw me. I, I posted something on social media and he got back to me, says, listen, if you ever need any help with this, let me know. So I called him on. And I says, yeah, I need some help. He goes, why don't we get a spirits company to give us some angel money, some seed investing, and then we can get a trailer made. And I says, why don't we start our own company? So that, that was May 16, 2016. I never finished the screenplay, but I will get to it. I will get to it, but I never finished it. But I got a spirits company instead. But now if we jump to Strange Collaboration, um, there was this young man named Johnny Strange. And Johnny Strange was uh, a daredevil. Uh, great, great young man. And he dated my youngest daughter. And uh, he did really adventurous stuff. And he was also a flyer. You know, the flyer that jumps off big building, big uh, yeah, buildings. He did buildings, too. He wanted to be one of those guys that got lifted off in the space and, and came down to earth, right? So he he had a tragic event, and, and he died. He, he got a wind shear that just put him right to, into the, to the mountain. It was a terrible thing. But he used to date my daughter, and he would call me uh, from the summits. He was the youngest man, uh, young man at that time to, to climb all the summits. Right. So he would call from a satellite phone and say, you got to do this one day. You got to help. You got to climb with me. I said, listen, I've climbed a lot of mountains in my life. I do not need to literally climb mountains anymore. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, speed ahead. His father, Brian Strange, I saw him at a restaurant one day. We gave each other's hugs and and tears. And we were talking about his son. He has a a vineyard and I have a bourbon company. I said, why don't we you give me some barrels. I'll put my bourbon in your barrels and we'll call it strange collaboration and we'll give proceeds back to the Johnny strange foundation. So it's a give back to, to the Johnny strange foundation in honor of, uh, of Johnny. That's strange, very so. cool. It's very good. By the way, this is, this is the first time I, I bought this yesterday. Literally I'm doing, I, one of my clients is a, uh, it's a liquor store here in town and I help them with their culture and leadership oh. and stuff. And I said, Hey, do you have three cord? And they go, absolutely. And they knew, and what's cool about this company here in town, this is in Wichita, Kansas, by the way, What's cool about this, they got, they're, they're, they're very knowledgeable and they knew all about this one guy. He's got kind of a phenom there. He knew all about it. He knew all about you. He knew about the kind of the story of the company. Oh. It's really cool. So I was excited to pick it up. It's, it's very good. So man, it's, yeah, exciting stuff. 
Right. You know, I look at your stuff. It, right. it, Thank it, you. you. You look at your resume and obviously, you know, starting a whiskey bourbon company or distillery would be an achievement on its own, but you're constantly working. You're writing a screenplay now, everything else. You know, I doing all my homework on you and the guests. And of course, I've known who you are for a long time. But when I look at you and I look at your resume, there's something that stuck out to me. And of course, this show has a leadership umbrella. And I love talking with creatives because I do think creatives have a leadership edge. Uh, and this has come from me doing the show for 10 years. And, and what I, when I look at you, I two words come to mind, and, and it's, in, it's intuition and it's integrity. And these are words that came up to me. And it seems like that is a huge part of who you are. And like, you seem to be a guy who, who listens to his intuitive sense. Is that a fair statement? What do, you, what do you think about when you hear me say those two words, intuition and integrity? Yeah, you know, you pick two words with the first letter that started, and uh, you know that that is amazing. Uh, you know, I try to live my life with integrity as much as I possibly can. You know, everybody mis makes mistakes, but that is my goal to have integrity. You know, that's very very important. And instinctive, uh, you 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 nailed it. I I am very instinctive. I I in order to be um, in order to write or create you have to basically make yourself like uh, so open a hundred percent of the time, you know, you can't close off. So you, everything is an idea somewhere. Everything is a living space of some kind. Right. So, you know, what's tough is, you know, sometimes I'll have a conversation with somebody and I'll stop talking because I'll, my mind will go somewhere else. and I'll be writing as I'm listening to them talk and I just disappear. So it's, it's, it's difficult sometimes to slow your brain down and have that, those moments where you can just have some peace that way. But, uh, yeah, I try to, like I said, I try to live with integrity. Um, you know, I, I, I was, I was raised by great parents. You know, my father, uh, is a great man. He's 95 years old. He has dementia, uh, right now. Um, in fact, I seen him the other day and, uh, he opens his eyes. And he goes, Oh, Neil, how you doing? I go, good pop. How you doing? He goes, great. I thought I was dead. <laughs> That's what he's telling oh, yeah. you. Know, but uh, he was such a great, you know, such a great man that uh, he taught me how to uh, have gratitude and be gracious because I saw it in action. He was a carpenter. When he would come home, he'd come home in a refrigerator, and we didn't have any money growing up. He'd come home with a refrigerator. He'd come home with a go kart wherever he got that from. What happens? He would do these jobs with people at their houses, and they say, "Hey, Tony, would you like would you like to have this? Would you like to have that?" So one day he comes home with an upright piano, and I went, "Oh, that's a game changer." I think I was about eleven years old, and he says, "Son, do you want this?" I go, "Yeah, I do." So I started playing piano. But I retired him forty years ago, and not one day would go by when he didn't say. Oh, thank you, son. Thank you so much. He said, thank you every single day. Never forgot. Never. Just a phenomenal man. So, you know, I, I try to be like him. I'll never be exactly like him because he's way too, he's, he's way too above my scale, but just a guy was blessed to have him as a father. That's such, that's so cool. You know, I've, I've asked people always go back and talk about, you know, their influences and who made the biggest impact. And certainly it's our parents or, or people who were, uh, you know, parental figures to us. But yeah, you're right. That gratitude piece is so key and watching it in somebody else. And it, it, I know for me, 
when I get a little anxious or I get a little too off kilter or centered, if you know, I get too stressed or full of anxiety, going back to that mm-hmm. gratitude piece always recenters me. You know, I try to wake up in the morning and just being thankful that my feet hit the ground sometimes, it, it clears my mind. I don't know why, but you, mm-hmm. if you always go back to that gratitude piece, I think that is, that's key. So key. Yeah, and then when it becomes automatic is is when is when it's like integrity is working in action, basically, right? And you know, yeah. you know, it's it's funny because my father wanted me to play guitar, uh, so I could do duets with my sister who played accordion. We can you know uh, play for our family and friends after church on Sundays because we you know we were very religious and and uh, Catholic and Sicilian family, and uh, but it was my mother who was like the warden. I mean, I, I, I loved playing sports. I loved playing football in the snow and on the sweet play tackle football on the streets. You know, it was fantastic. But then I all of a sudden I hear my mother's voice. and Come in, son. You got to practice. Oh, no. Oh, no. I used to hate it. I wanted to be a football player. I, you know, I want to be Jimmy Brown, you know, except my genetics would have never got me there. So I just decided I better do something else. So, um, but she was the warden. She was the one that kind of kept me at it. So she, she added to the... Uh, to the mix. When did the when did the rock and roll bug hit? My birth I was telling Tom, your manager, this last night when I was talking to him. My my biological father uh was a musician. He he was um the harmonica player in Jimmy Buffett's band. So any any harmonica you hear in, mm. in Jimmy Buffett is my biological father. But he's he's big into the cool. big into the blues, okay. right? I mean he's he's a blues guy through and through. I mean that's he didn't the Buffett thing was good. It was a paying gig, but his blues was his true love. And I know that that's a huge part of, of you. So is that, and for him, it was the blues. And when then he watched Ed Sullivan in, in 64, that was when he said, okay, I gotta, I gotta be in this rock and roll, roll business. What, what was it for you? What was the rock and roll bug for you? Okay. There's quite a few things, but uh, let's see. Uh, uh, when I was very young, we would go, my mother would take my sister and I to Woolworths and we can buy anything we wanted for $1. So what they had is in for 99 cents, you can get 45s records, 45s, and you would get like about 10, 10 or 11 in there and they were sealed in cellophane. What I didn't know now that what I know now, what I didn't know then is they were cutouts and I had no idea. And for people that don't understand the music business and what a cutout is, it's the free goods. So they would wrap up these free goods they weren't supposed to sell and they would sell them for a dollar for 10 or 11 of these 45s. So inside these 45s, were songs by people I I never seen them before. I I didn't know what they looked like, who they were, but I liked it. I mean, there was there was uh, Gene Pitney in there, there was Chuck Berry, and there's John Lee Hooker in there. There was Bull Moose Jackson in there. So there was a mixture of r- a rhythm and blues, swing blues, real blues, pop, rock, everything. The Burnett Trio was in there. On I remember on Coral Records. So there were so many things. And I would just put them on, and I would just play to them. You know, I just play guitar to them and I had no idea who they were. Right. But before that kind of or around that whole kind of time, my uncle Timmy who was only five years older, four or five years older than me, sort of lived with my family because my grandfather passed away. So he came to live with my family since he was the older brother, more or less. He brought in the British invasion when they came out. So, and all of a sudden, I was listening to the Yardbirds. Oh, yeah, the Yardbirds. And, you know, and then eventually, blah, blah. So, so, you know, he was a huge inspiration and he kind of brought, he took the Sicilian songs notched up to a whole different level, right? So, he brought me into the rock and roll world. And in fact, he was a singer in my very first band when oh, yeah. I was like 12 years old or so. 
That's very cool. And then the other the other person I have to mention is my cousin Skeeter, because uh, cousin Skeeter was on his way to Nam, and um, he came to the house and he had this red guitar. And I remember he was he was going all over all up and down the neck on this thing, and I was watching him. I'm going. Wait a minute! How do you do that? I'm I only play in this one like first position thing, and then my mother saw that, and as soon as she as he left, she says, "You should never play by ear. You got to read the notes. You can't play by ear." Well, I played by ear. Yeah, <laughs> cousin Skeeter, he taught me. He taught me what I should do with that. So, well, that's so he was another person that was influential. That's kind of what I mean about the the intuition piece again, kind of tying it into life and leadership. And I always like to do that you know, tie these things in, but, and maybe I overthink these things, but what, but I fly planes, right. And aviation is my thing in flying. And, and there's the mechanics of learning how to fly a plane, just like there's probably the mechanics of learning how to play the guitar. I mean, notes and chords and all that, but to be a professional aviator, like once you get that down, everybody kind of think that's what the job is. It's this highly technical job, but I argue to very, to be a, at the level that I fly at now, and I still fly, I fly commercially for American Airlines, 787s. I've been flying for 35 years, but to fly at this level, so much of it is intuitive. And, and, and I don't hear a lot of people talking about it. And I think right. it's probably the same thing when you put in your 10,000 hours of being a, a musician. At some point, you've got the basics down, but it's really the great musicians are listening to their gut. I mean, you're, it's three things, probably head, heart, and gut, but it's that gut thing that, that keep. I know for me, for being a professional aviator, when you're when you're in the zone, so much of it is intuitive because you've got so much stuff coming in a different, you know what I mean? So many sure. channels. And I just I wish I could be a musician. I'm so envious of musicians because I just watch, you know, just watching that Ario Speedwagon show last night and watching their guitarist there. I just like, God dang. I just it's just amazing. And watching your stuff, I mean, and doing the homework and revisiting your stuff. Of course, that was part of my childhood or, you know, middle school, high school, that sound and, and mm-hmm. just revisiting it and watching your stuff and watching that Promises of the Dark video. I was watching that a couple of days ago and I got a buddy of mine mm-hmm. who's good in guitars and just watching you. And I'm like, God, it's just a total 100% rock and roll stuff. I mean, you had everything, man, the look, but just uh-huh. that. But the way that you played that solo was just, I don't know. It's just phenomenal. And I just wonder how much of it is tech, technician or how much of it is feel. And, and, and sorry for my kind of naivete about playing the guitar, but it seems to me it's more intuitive than it is technical. I don't know. What, what do you think when you hear me say that? Yeah, a lot of, a lot of it is intuitive. So, so what happens that I believe is that you, you, know, you spend your time, you, you learn the instrument, you get as as far as you can get and continue to go forward and you keep going because you're never a master. You're, you'll always be that that person that needs to try to attain to be that, uh, but you'll never get there, but you do. So uh, it you you have to have that. And it's and then you have to forget, like you said, this technical side. You know, it, when I'm producing records and I'm in the studio, I can tell you immediately when the drummer starts to think. In other words, if you actually thought of being in a plane, if you actually thought the reality of what you were really doing up there, you couldn't do the job you were doing. You just couldn't because you would just flip yourself completely out. Uh, for a musician, um, you, 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 you got to be in the moment and then you don't, you can't be in there. You have to be in a moment and then you got to let it be automatic. And you know what? Sports and in life, uh, sports is a metaphor to life. The game of golf you know, I, I don't know if you play golf, um, 
I do. I love it because it's a very cerebral game. But there's a great quote that that golfers use, and golfers use this, and then I'll explain why that I I feel. Uh, An amateur golfer worries about hitting a bad shot. A professional golfer worries about hitting a better shot. So if you go and stand over a ball before you hit it, and you stand there for 10 seconds thinking of all this stuff and hit the ball, you're not going to hit it. It's gonna, you're going to take a terrible shot. So those people that are professionals do all the time. When they get up there, they're not thinking about all these different things. You can't. When, when I'm writing songs, if I get a break, if anything breaks my comp, I have to disappear. And if anything breaks my, my conversation that I'm having with the song, I'm back in, on the planet and I can't, I can't write anymore. You, you, have to, you have to let it go. It's got to disappear, yeah, right? I, that's really I understand important. that. I mean, I, that does resonate with me as a pilot. I mean, I think when I, I think about trying to fly in those most challenging situations, that's exactly what we have to do. If you're thinking about it, it's wrong. You know, if you're thinking about it, you're not doing as good. It's like you've got to feel it. I don't that's know. That's right. It's weird. Oh, you know, speaking of being a pilot, you know, I've done, uh, you know, tours where I had private jets and things, mm-hmm. right? And I remember the first time we had a little party and the pilots, the two pilots were there and they were getting hammered. They're drinking and drinking. I'm thinking, geez, this is unbelievable. So I went up to him and I said, I, I don't mean to be rude. I said, but do you guys always drink like that? He goes, let me just tell you something. If you meet a pilot and you don't see him drinking and you got a problem. That's, right. That's probably true. And I went. That is a really good analogy. Yeah. If you don't see him drinking, you got that's a right. problem. As long so, as it's t- t- oh. 12 hours bottle to throttle, that's the rules, right? So as long as I'm 12 hours. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's right. I certainly that's did my share right. of drinking in the Marine Corps. When I flew in the Marine Corps, I did so much. Oh, so much drinking around the globe. It was kind of like living like a rock star. You got paid per diem. You're in exotic locales. You just mm-hmm. like living like a rock star. I tried to live like a rock star anyway. Yeah. <laughs> That's so good. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I, you know that whole rock star thing. I know. Is, you know, to, you know, to me, I would never, I never felt like that. I always felt myself as a musician that yeah. was here to to write songs and make records for people and really change their lives. Well, that's the integrity. That's again, that it goes back to the integrity piece I was talking about. And again, looking at your life, and that's what. And, and again, it's not like when I talk about integrity, it's not like you're. And the same thing with me. I try to live my life with integrity too. Authenticity might be a. A, a, a companion word with that authentic and transparent right. authentic transparent and vulnerable the kind of the things that i try to intentionally do because there's so much power in that and i don't know and it's not that that right. it's not that we try to be deceptive i think it's like it's getting out of your own way it's probably like i, I suppose as you came up as as an artist and a musician you know every you hear about every artist musician they they're trying to find their way they're kind of copying somebody else they're mimicking somebody else they're doing well this is what i think a rock star should do or a musician should do or i think a guitar player should do and then eventually you find your voice as you kind of embrace your authenticity right does that does that make sense um it's it kind of does um it kind of does i let me just give you a little different perspective uh from my point of view when i first started becoming a musician um, I wanted to be a great player, but I didn't, I learned early on, I wasn't going to be a virtuoso. So, I, and it didn't make me change my direction. But when I heard Heartbreak Hotel, Elvis Presley on my 
parents' uh, Wi-Fi. Hi-Fi. Hi-Fi. I have what's called Hi-Fi, not Wi-Fi. <laughs> the Hi-Fi, my mother. My, it was my mother playing the record because she loved Elvis. You know, I was walking down Lonely Street, Heartbreak Hotel, and I was listening to the production of that record without even knowing what I was really doing, thinking, where's that rich bass coming from? Why is that reverb sound so dead, the depth of that? So I started becoming a producer early on. So yeah. with as being a musician, I tried to find... Uh, different ways to get inside a song. In other words, I learned a song, but I tried to come up with different parts inside of it. So it's a, it was a little, it has a little different spin from where where I was sitting. That's as a interesting. Yeah, off, that's very, if that makes sense. It does make sense. It's very interesting. I kind of relate to that because when I listen to music, my it drives my wife crazy, and my kids. Like sometimes I'll be, I've always like play songs, and like I'll always sometimes I'll be like. Like, let's listen to this part again. Like, I'll rewind it. And it drives him crazy. I'm like, listen, okay, this part, like, right here. Listen. And, it, like, I always like, try to find the goosebump parts, right? And I'm like, they, and they can't hear what I'm talking yeah. They can't hear what I'm talking about. I'm like, listen to how that bass player does this. So I think I understand what you're saying. I think I kind of dissect. Maybe I. Well, you do. Maybe I dissect songs is what I'm well, doing. No, because. Well, what happens is you're in, you're in a job that has to do with detail and uh, uh, what's the other word? Uh, detail and make a bad mistake and you got tragedy. So you're, you're, you're constantly, your vision is very sharp. You have to be that that's, that's what you are. You know, if you, if you have a dull vision for you, 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 you're not going to be a great pilot. So in order to be a, a, a producer and be a successful one or make or make records where they translate to what your artist and yourself is thinking, you have to pay attention to those details. You, but at the same time, if you try to get too inside it, yeah. you try too hard to get that, you won't get it. Just like writing a song. If you want to try, if you're trying too hard, you're just in the wrong place at that moment. That's not to say you shouldn't do it every day, but you're in the wrong place. Maybe I missed my calling. Maybe I should have been a music. <laughs> no. <laughs> Maybe I should have been a pilot. Yeah, I right. don't think so. No. That, you know, but listening to, like, I was listening to your, again, revisiting your stuff. And of course, I've been familiar with stuff for the years, for years, but revisiting it and kind of dissecting it like that. I think what, and I was always a, a Van Halen fan when I was growing up in the 80s, you know, I was, I don't know, seventh, eighth grade in 81, how old I was. Mm -hmm. You know, 78, Van Halen came out. I was always a Van Halen fan. And I remember I had a, a buddy who played guitar and, mm -hmm. and, um, and he told me, and I remember listening to Van Halen. And he said that, uh, who, who was it? Steve Vai, I think. Was it Steve Vai? Steve Vai said, you know, I guess he played with David Lee Roth. And he was talking about, yeah, you know, mm -hmm. I couldn't play. I could play Eddie's stuff. But my problem was, is that Eddie and Alex were always so tied together. And Eddie played to Alex's drums or vice versa. And when I was listening, I think I was listening to, I was listening to your stuff, Jesse's girl. And I was listening to your stuff like that. It's like, it's like you play with the drums, if that makes sense. Like you play right. with the drums and I don't, I, Eddie Van Halen does it like Adam Jones from tool does it with Danny Carey. I don't know if you ever listened to Adam Jones, but Adam Jones with, does it with Danny mm -hmm. Carey. Mm -hmm. And I love listening to that. And that's, as I was listening to like, uh, all your stuff, but particularly Jesse's girl, I noticed that it seemed like you were playing it's like you're a drummer or something. I don't know. Does that make sense? Correct. It makes absolute sense. And I can tell you why. You're exactly right. And I do play drums. I, I base everything around rhythm, right? So 
even when I was uh, starting off as playing a guitar player, I wanted to be a great rhythm player. So I play guitar like a drummer. It's because I, I play inside all those beats that are going on. You know, I, I'm just like another part of that drum kit. And the other thing is, is that when I record tracks, I record it on a buddy system, guitar and drums only and vocals, no bass and no keyboards. No bass. I add that later. So guitar and drums, what happens is if, if I mess up, we have to do it again. If the drummer messes up, we do it again. We both have to be in together or I won't save that track. Interesting. You see, so, so it's all about playing inside. That's why all the things I've done, if you listen, you'll notice the real heavy rhythm stuff that's going on. Um, I did a song, I did a, I did a session for a friend of mine. His name is Danny Fonheiser. He's a great drummer. And uh, it was an Asian guy, um, actually a big in, uh, in Japan, huge. He's got a huge band, the Bees, they're called, the Bees. And, um, and, and Danny wanted me to play on the record. So I played on it and he's listening. I get done and he goes, oh, that's great. And then he calls me like two days later and he goes, what are you doing on that thing? I go, what are you talking about? I said, I hope you like it. He goes, I love it, but you were like him. You and the drums are like, it's like having six drummers going on there. I says, that's I, I'm glad you got it because that's what I was trying for. That's what I like to do, you know. Well, that makes sense. Well, I was just thinking about that. I think Eddie Van Halen started. He's. I think the story goes he played drums too. He started out as a drummer, and Alex and he played mm-hmm. the keyboard, and you played the keyboard, right? Same thing: keyboard, drums, and then you switched the guitar. That's interesting. How, yeah, understanding drums can make you a really great rhythm and lead guitarist too. That's amazing. Yeah, it's just a, it's it's. Yeah, if you it's it's when people ask me all the time what is the what is the source of of, of of production arranging and all that type of thing, it's really rhythm. It that's what I'm trying to create some kind of uh, really moving rhythm established in a song. Yeah, very important. Uh, it's amazing stuff. I you know, the sound too. Again, I wish I was a I wish I was a guitar technophile. I'm not. I'm a total. Am- I'm just a, a consumer and and envious of watching the sound but the sound too i like the um i don't even know like the word i'm going back to van halen again but i think he called like the brown sound but you have kind of like a brown or dirty dirty sound if that makes sense i was listening to a lot of the stuff Mm -hmm. on on the on the pat benatar stuff i mean it's really it's like i don't know does that make sense i mean i don't is that intentional too or is that just kind of happening it just happens it just happens but um, I know people use colors sometimes. They talk about sound and colors. I don't talk about sound and colors. I do it more as a cinematic approach. In other words, when I listen to a song, I see, I see like where the drums are, the reverb is, the vocals, the harmonies, the keyboard part, guitar part, solo. I see things on a cinematic uh, scope rather than a sound thing. I know a lot of people say, you know, could you make it more blue or you know make it a little you. more red? I've never done that. More more cinematic. Uh, things are in their place for a reason. I, I have them there for for purposes. I love that. When you're writing your screenplay, and I'm excited to see this. So, so what 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 pushed that? I mean, what are you hoping to accomplish creating uh, visually a movie? What do you, what are you trying to to get out there? Well, what I'm trying to get with this particular, and I have a lot of, I have regular, regular films, uh, ideas and episodic uh, shows and things of that nature. But this was, I never did a documentary before, but what I want to get out of this is I want to elevate, 
those those uh, friends and musicians yeah and and get their stories because everybody has a story you know and there's some there's some pretty wild stories of some of these guys that one one direction took them to a different place in their life you know uh you know there's a great story about a guy uh he's he was phenomenal singer and writer and he was driving home one night and he he got in a car wreck and he hit a fence and the pole went through his face and came out the other side of his neck and he lived and uh he's got an amazing story i mean it's i want to bring light to those folks and and at the same time, what's interesting, because it's a hybrid, there's a story component on each side of it. So the middle is the, like, uh, is the interviews I do with them in strange locations throughout uh, northern and, and middle Ohio. And on either side of it, beginning and end, is a story with acting. So there's, that's a story, but in the middle is the, uh, is the interview part, portion. I love that. You're so right. So everybody has a story. And bringing that too. I've always wanted to make documentary films too. And, and me and a, a local buddy here, we, we kind of have this kind of quasi dream of, of, of putting things to film too. I guess I know there's a lot of people that want to do that, but I'm with you. Like so many, I always wanted to, I've traveled a lot when I was um, based in LA, when I flew with American, I hate to drive back and forth from John Wayne to LA and I took a lot of Ubers and that's about an hour drive or hour ride from John Wayne to LAX or whatever. And um, man, the stories I would get from these drivers, I'd be like, if I could have a camera and a microphone, listen to these guys telling their stories. And some of them like could come from Iran and they like, they immigrated to Venezuela in the seventies illegally. And then they made it to the United States and then, Oh my God. And it's just like, you couldn't even make up these stories. Yeah, everybody's sometimes. got a story. And that's, and that's, you know, that's what make a, that makes America great too. all the diversity. I mean, it's fantastic. But the story, I'll tell you a plain thing was, it was, I mean, I'm way past the 2 million mile club. You know, I've been all over the place, right. For, for like 45 years. Right. So I remember going on a flight. I can't remember what it was. It was a fairly good sized plane. And uh, all of a sudden um, the pilot comes out. He says, can I talk to you for a minute? I go, Sure. I mean, yeah, I'll talk to you, whatever you want. He goes, come outside the cockpit. Now, this was about, I don't know, 12 years ago. And you you couldn't go in the cockpit. You, you know, you're not supposed to be going up there. He says, you got to come in here. He had a Telecaster. He had a guitar up there. No kidding. <laughs> with him. And he was playing it. The plane is flying. Yeah. So he, he showed it to me. We were talking guitars and things and stuff. So yeah, it's, it's just, there's a story, you know, it's, it's, a, and he told me about his, he, you know, he loved these, these surf uh, punk bands and, and I told him, you know, I knew a lot of them and, and players and stuff. So, I mean, everybody's, it's, it's just amazing how things just fall where they have to fall. I know. know? So what drive, I mean, so, okay. So you've sat there, the musician being that has been the driving force I and mean, creative force. You've created so many great things. You've moved in this there. You're, you still got a lot of life to live. Where do you see this? I mean, what, mm-hmm. is, what is the dream right. for the next 10 years? What, what, what are you hoping to accomplish? Well, I, got, I have a lot of things. Um, I love things. I'm going to put, I'm going to talk about three chord bourbon because that's, that's, this is, this is really important. And, and why you what do, I'd like to see happen with that. And why you do this. I don't know if you can see it. Pour. I'm, I'm pouring yes, another. Sir. I can see it. I can see it. Yeah, definitely. Poor pick that. And there's a nice nose on that one. Too. Yeah, it's very, very good. Real the Pinot. The Pinot part comes off beautiful on that. Um, what I like to do with the Three Chord Bourbon Company is get it to where, um, where, where we're, we're everywhere, 
as a professional spirits company should be. And people are enjoying it. They're respecting the moment. They're engaging in conversation. But I, I want the company to be known from a philanthropy uh, fundamental. In other words, I would like to have that company uh, do great, make lots of money, and I want to take it. And I want to have a. I want to be the philanthropist behind the three chord bourbon musical give back and do something that I can really help and support musicians all over the world because it's a, it's a thing I know. There's a lot of heartbreak. Uh, there's a heartbreak in everybody's careers. But you know, being a musician, I've seen it. I've seen people die from overdoses or doses. I've seen people's families get destroyed. People not being home with their families. I mean, it's a it's a horrible thing. It's a really tough business and it even got tougher with the digital world that's going on now. So, I mean, that's what I like to have happening. You know, I like to be able to, to travel the country, do seminars, speak to folks, give them hope, inspire, uh, elevate, and uh, be part of that philanthropy program. And isn't part of the value that you can add is, again, there are a couple of things there. You're right. It's probably a lot different than it was, say, in 1981 with the advent of MTV or Absolutely. even record. I mean, it's it's hard to make money in the music business now, I'd imagine. Right. I mean, it's so hard. I was watching really this, hard. this, um, this opening act that the RO Speedwagon concert last night was, uh, Levon, great group from Nashville. I don't know if you've, if you've listened to Levon and look at how young they are and just, and they talked, yeah. they talked a little bit on stage about how challenging it is. Right. And mm -hmm. it's, is that part of what, yeah, when it's you, really hard when you hear, go ahead. Yeah, but go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead finish and I'll explain well, why. Well, I was going to say is part of your philanthropy piece. Is it that? Is that, okay, let me help you navigate. Because if you're going to be a musician, let me tell you the reality here, brother. God bless you. If, 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 if the muse, if the angels of God has put to be a musician as your calling, live it out. But here's, the, here's some realities here. And here's how some things you got to think about. You got to be a businessman too, in addition to being a musician. Is that part of your philanthropy? You hit it right on the head. And I, I got to tell you this, my uncle Sam, who was one of my favorite uncles, who went into the Navy, when he came out of the Navy, uh, he never was on another boat again. He had an anchor tattoo. And that's the reason I have tattoos, because as a kid, I, I just loved that he had that anchor in his forearm. And he was such a, he had a very colorful guy, had a lot of stories. He told me once, he said, I don't know what I was like, 14 or something. He goes, he goes, Nilo, he goes, I've thought of every way possible to not work for a living and make money. He says, don't be a musician. <laughs> Thinking that, yeah, you know, yeah. it's not work, yeah, right? Right. <laughs> well, he's kind of work, he's kind of right about that because work is something, uh, you know, you know, I, I don't feel I've worked a day in my life uh, being a musician, but, but that's not what he meant. Um, that's exactly true what you said about business. So, cause here how it goes. In order to be a writer, uh, a player, creator, whatever that is, you use a one side of your brain. The other side goes dormant, right? Because if you allow that that part of that administration part of your brain to enter in, you're you're shut down. You're, you've lost it. So uh, through this music ambassadorship program I have through Three Chord, is that we teach people how to use the business. Because unfortunately, when you talk about music, music what do you say? The music business. Right. I mean, you you don't usually say, "Are you in the music?" No, you're you're in the music business, right? So, but people fail to recognize that it's a business. So, through the music ambassadorship program, we teach them how to how to how to go into a club, 
And we build a network too, by the way. This is a phenomenal thing too. As this grows, all these music ambassadors know each other. They support the brand of Three Chord Bourbon. We support them. We get them Three Chord Stages. They they know how to talk to the club owners. They know how to talk to the venues. They know how to talk to the people. So we teach them all those things. And you know what they're telling me now? They're saying, if I wasn't a music ambassador, I, I wouldn't have been able to get into some of these venues that I've been always wanting to get into. And besides, I was getting, before I was getting $300 a night, some places I had to pay them. He says, now we're them. Now we're getting paid. We're making like five times more money now. So that's part of the business part. So we try to teach them that. And then I have an open line for mentoring. If anybody has a question, thought, problem, uh, I'll be happy to you know talk to them if they need the help. So the infrastructure of, of this music business ambassadorship program is great to me. I, I, I love it. I love it. That's amazing. It's just a fantastic thing. How does that make you feel when you hear that from somebody that's like, they went from having to pay to get on a stage. Now they're getting paid three to four times more than what? How does that make you feel? I, I love it. It makes me feel phenomenal. I mean, I, I what, who wouldn't, who wouldn't want to be no me? Kidding, right? I mean, yeah. this is a great feeling that come back to me. I, you know, when you write a song, you're not writing a song to piss somebody off to make them hate or whatever. You know, you're writing a song to try to lift people up, give them hope. As a musician, you you have to have empathy. If you don't have yeah. empathy as a musician, you can't be one. Absolutely. You know, musicians are oversensitive too. You know, it's just what what we are. And we'll be right back after this message. Hey, you're like me, you're wanting to improve your health, but never sure where to start. With thousands of health strategies available, identifying which one works for your body is difficult. I know it has been for me until I found MetPro. According to MetPro, the key to seeing results is mastering your metabolism. At MetPro, your metabolism isn't some mystery. It's a data point. Armed with hard science, MetPro is your health concierge, delivering one-on-one coaching and personalized nutrition and fitness routines. It's not just about weight loss. MetPro's coaches provide busy professionals, athletes, weekend warriors, and everyone in between the support and education they need to live a healthier life. MetPro's team of experts has worked with the most recognizable name in sports, entertainment, and business. They've helped thousands of individuals like you and me transform their bodies by hacking their metabolism. I've been using MetPro for five weeks, and I couldn't be more thrilled. I finally feel like I got it figured out. This onboarding program was great. The intuitive app I can't say enough of. It helps me plan my meals gives me a shopping list. I'm eating the foods I enjoy. And most importantly, I got increased energy and I'm seeing weight loss. I couldn't be more thrilled with MetPro. Recently, they launched a new tool that allows you to experience the same science and tailored strategy that their experts use. Look, this isn't food logging. It's not a tool or a workout app. The MetPro app allows you to track, analyze, and learn what your metabolism responds to best. And that's the key. That's the thing I've never had before until now. So if you're looking for a high-touch experience working with a metabolic expert, or if you want to access the tools that industry-leading coaches use, visit metpro.co slash dose. That's metpro.co slash dose to take their assessment and speak with their team to learn which option is best for you. Best of all, listeners will get up to one month free when they sign up. Head to metpro.co slash dose to take advantage of this opportunity. And now back to the show. Well, and that's the key. Yeah. And, it, and it goes back to what I start, started the show with talking about why I love talking with creatives. And, you know, it's something that kind of organically came through starting the show. You know, it's, the, the umbrella of leadership is big and it can mean a lot of things. We're all going to be called to leadership, whether we like it or not. 
But at the core of that mm-hmm. and what I've come to find out, and this is why, and I don't even know if musicians see themselves. I don't know if you see yourself as a, a, as a leadership example or not, but I do because of what you just said right there about the empathy piece, because at the core of it is love and empathy. And that that's what it comes down to. And if you can figure out how to to be empathetic and to see what it's like to be in somebody else's shoes, that is that is the 10,000 hours of leadership to me and what we should all be striving for. And musicians seem to get it because at the end of the day, the purpose of a creative or a musician is to add value to the universe and to the world. That is why musicians and creatives exist. And at the core of leadership is adding value. If you're not adding value, you're not being a leader. You're just managing things or managing processes. But if you're adding value, you're making the world, you're making the campsite better than you found it. And that is, I think that is the universal obligation that we have to make the place better than we found it. If if you're not, if you're not working towards that, if you're not working towards that, then you're shaming the universe. That's how I see it. No, you're exactly right. You know, as being a as a as being a musician and that writer, when I speak of that, it's all encapsulated in one like giant batch of things. Um, that the moral compass is in the music world is about all that you said. The learning process, the growth process for me is, it, I have to learn how to be equally empathetic, if that's the correct word, in in life as I am in the music portion of it, if that makes any sense, you know, cause it's, it's, it's not, it's not as simple. It's not, it's not simple. It's, it's, it's hard to live your life in all, uh, uh, you know, factions of everything, your day to day thing to have that empathy and to do all that stuff. And, and it's a thing I'm, I'm learning. And I'm trying to get better at from the music part. I get, I get, but the other part, you know, listen, it's a, it's a growth we all have to take. Oh, we all have to, if we want to get better, we have to learn how to do better at it. And it never stops, right? I mean, I mean, your kid, no, your kids are, stopped. your kid never stops. I'm curious about how, you know, what was it? I mean, how did you change as a father and a husband going through this? I mean, it's amazing, uh, you know, having a successful family, having yeah. all this thing. How did you? And again, not that it was a balancing act, but I mean, how much of it did it change? I look back, I mean, I've been married, I'll be married 30 years in uh, October and my kids, they're, they're basically grown. But I just, I I wish I would have known what I knew right now, you know, when I had those little ones, when they're, you know, so different. I was just, I look at myself and how immature I was as a leader, as a husband and a father. And now, and, and. I mean, my kids turned out okay. Well, it, you know what I mean? I just, I wish I would have had that. I guess everybody kind of wishes they had that wisdom and knowledge at this point. But what were you going to say? Of course. Well, I break it down into this. I used to say that in order to have a successful relationship in most things and in relationships and, you know, family stuff is you, you needed one person passive, one person be uh, assertive. I used to believe that, right? Well, I was wrong. I was wrong in that. Um, uh, you know, in the, uh, my life as the musician and in the studio, I was the assertive guy. I was that guy. I I wasn't a dictator, but I was the assertive guy. I said, we're going to do it. We're going to start at 10 o'clock and we're going to do it. We're going to finish it. And this is how we're going to go. And this is what we're going to do to get it there. Right. Very assertive. And then when I walked out of that studio, I was Mr. Passive. 
And uh, I, I realized that that was wrong. In relationships, both people have to be assertive and both people have to be passive, you know, have to be, be passive as well. They, and they have to be able to communicate then properly like that. So I was wrong with that. Like you said, you wish you would have known stuff now that you, you know, <laughs> right. use it later uh, before. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, but that goes with everything, right? So, uh, you know, I wish I would have bought every Les Paul that was made in 1957 or 59. <laughs> that doesn't happen, right? So, um, but I did have that that philosophy. Um, I don't believe it was real. Uh, you know, there's a part of the thing I can tell you too about being a producer too, which is which is an interesting thing because as a producer, which I, I feel as though I am more of a, a producer than I am. The, I, I'm a musician, of course. Right. But you like, like the producing uh, my piece. My primary thing is You like to produce. Yeah, That's because it, it involves everything. As a, as a, I have to be part artist. I have to be uh, part engineer. I have to be, you know, all those things. Uh, philosopher. I have to use philosophy. I have to do all those things. And I have to, I have to know what I want to get in the end. But there's a really interesting thing about a producer. And I followed a lot of the great ones like Sam Phillips and Rick Hall, uh, certainly George Martin, and it goes all the way down the list. There's so many that were great. Is that in order to be a great producer, you have to have those musicians and artists, whoever you're working with there, have to want to please you. Mm. Now, that I mean, it's not narcissistic. No, this I get is you. not what I'm talking about I here. Get you. But you know, when you do something where they really have to work hard, where they want really please you. The example is this, Richard, you're going in the studio and you're trying to sing a bit and you're not quite getting it. And I says, you know what? You, you, you have to find another way to get it. If you don't get it, I'll have to get somebody else. You have, please, you can do this. You're going to work really hard to get it. And then when I say to you, Un Richard, that was phenomenal. I've never heard you sound better. That's it. And I'm telling the truth. That's truly one of the greatest things you ever said. What did you just did? What did you just do? Did what am I talking about? What did you just do? You want you wanted to please me. Because in the end, it's pleasing you as, as well. So if you don't have that component and you don't have that respect, you will never be able to produce a record. And, and that's some, you know, that's out. interesting. I, I guess that's I kind of, I guess I kind of thinking about that. I would, I would know that, but the amount of influence that you have to have as a producer, that is a total leadership. I mean, that's a hundred percent leadership role. You think about the great producers, Clive Davis, all those kind of yeah. guys and they, and how they extracted the talent out of these people. Correct. Right. And you have to be able to, mm -hmm. to, to, I mean, leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less, right? That's what leadership is. And how do you influence somebody? That's interesting. How did you, when you were, say you're working for Rick Springfield and, and, and making those great albums and, and, and coming up with Jesse's girl and everything mm -hmm. else. Did you, did you know you were doing that? Did you know consciously that you had to say, for example, influence Rick and, and Mike bear to come up with these, these, these type of things. I mean, did, or you were just kind of just in the moment, just like, no, I, I just want to create a kick-ass song. Right? Just, yeah. Right. I was just in the moment, but C and B had so assertive, mm -hmm. the, 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 um, what's the right word for it? Uh, the confidence, my confidence level, was so strong, uh, you know. For instance, that when I did Jesse's Girl, I, geez, I had a number one album. I, had, you know, I was writing songs. So you were confident. You were like, I, I know what I'm doing. I am a, yeah. I am a musician. I know this shit. Nobody knows it better than me. That's what you're walking yeah. in there with. That kind of that gravitas yeah. you're walking in there right. with. Yeah. Okay. Correct. Correct. 
So you, knowing you're going to be that guy that's going to make that shot, that three-pointer when there's uh, one second left, that you know you're going to make it. You know, you want to be in those positions. That's kind of, that's kind of, I, I live for that, you know. And, it, and it's not, inten- I didn't do it, in, I don't do it intentional to say I want this person to please me. That's not it. Because you, 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 you want the best, what you're doing, you're trying to get the best record and the best performances from everybody. And, and, and I got to tell you, the other thing is, is that, if you have to ask yourself, when somebody says, many times people would say to me, well, what do you think of this song? You think it's going to be hit? If I would say, yeah, I think it's going to, I think so, yeah. What do you think that's telling you? That's saying, I don't believe it's going to be That's right. When I say, this is a hit, I guarantee it, people listen. And it's, and I won't, you can't yourself you can't kid yourself so you know? when you're it's really important. when you're there with that that confidence i guess when you look back at it now with the marination and kind of the and, and the wisdom and the experience were you the shit i mean were you were that guy or were you just kind of do you see what i'm saying i mean because to me you look like a guy that how do i say this the, to me why i think you're so great and why you've been so successful neil is that you have a humble, teachable spirit, but you have this intensity of will. Mm-hmm. And that, intense, that intensity of will with the humble, teachable spirit and where that Venn diagram intersects, that is the sweet spot. And I think that's where you live your life. And I think that's where you were when you were like, you know, when you're producing the albums with you and your wife, when, when, when you're producing Jesse's Girl with Rick Springfield. I think that's where you were at. That's interesting. Right? I don't know. What do you think when you hear me say that? It's interesting because... No, you 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 actually hit it right on. I mean, dead on. You see, as much as I was assertive in knowing what I want, and still to this day knowing what I want, all I'm thinking is, damn, why can't I be like Prince? Why can't I have when doves cry? What a brilliant song! You know, why can't why can't I write Let It Be? What's the matter with me? You know, why couldn't I write Imagine? Why couldn't I produce? What you know, all those things. So I'm never, I'm never, I'm never thinking. I'm, I'm never thinking. I'm that guy. You know, um, you, you know, will is really important. Use that word, will, because you know, you never try to break the will of someone ever. You know, like resolution to me is a great word. It, it's an important word. Um, you know, when I when you talk about leadership too, you know, um, I like to be loud in purpose, but not in volume. You know, purpose is more important. Yeah. And if you want to truly make things, uh, you want to make something great, you know, you don't want to break the will of somebody. You know, you, you're looking for a resolution. You're looking for something to, to get accomplished. You know, when you, people talk about fair deals, I'd say this a lot because it's really important. It's a real basic thing. You know, when you do a deal with somebody and you both walk away and say, there's a fair deal. It's really elementary, right? When you think about yeah. it. But in truth, when you have a fair deal, you're giving something away. But you're also getting something right. back, and you're. And how could you? How could you live? And how could you make a record? How could you make anything where you don't feel both parties feel they had a fair deal? Yeah, you can't. You can't. You'll have resentment. You can't have that. It's got to be clean. You know. Uh, I know exactly what you it's mean. Important. Yeah, that's amazing. This is so fun to talk about this. Oh, what? So what? Let's just go. Let's just stay on Jesse's girl for a minute because it's just an amazing song. Mm-hmm. An amazing moment. Mm-hmm. So when you're in there in the studio with them, are Rick and and Mike looking to you for guidance, or are they saying, "No, I know the way. 
do you see what I'm saying? I mean, wh- when you're there, are they, are they like, what do you think? I mean, I guess Rick was brand new, I guess he really had had a hit up until that point. I mean, he had some modicum of success, but is he looking? Is, yeah, he is, had some, yeah, I think it was a, a, a collective. I think it was a collective. See, we were all in the room together. Rick had, he had his little vocal booth going. Uh, Mike would hit his drum kit right there. And I was on guitar. We, we uh, formed the Trinity, a triangle. And again, I think it was everybody, everybody getting on, to, picking up everybody else's confidence, you know, um, picking the right tempo, the right feel. Uh, you know, I, when I first heard the song and we, we were talking, Rick, I says, you know, we need a middle eight in there. You know, we're going to need to expand that uh, instrumental part, make it mean something. Uh, we, let's make a solo where it sings, it has melody just as strong as the song. Because the part of the guitar part that I would do, if there's a solo, I want the solo to be an extension of the vocal. So people can actually sing the, the melody of the, of the guitar solo rather than it just being 16 measures of look how good I can play or whatever. I'm not interested in that. I want it to be a melody so it's people don't get bored. So all that, and they're picking up on the confidence and, and stuff. And then Rick, he he was playing the song very stiff. Like when, when, he, when he started writing it, it, it was very stiff. And he says he, it reminded him of like an Eagles thing where it was, that's not that that's wrong. It was just a very yeah, yeah. tight. And I says, it's got to swing more. So, I mean, he was playing the same part. But when I started playing, it was a... And all of a sudden had the swing. Mike being a great drummer, he just starts laying in it. I'm now following him. Everybody's following each other. It's a, it was a collective thing. Uh, so, Amy, I wish I could have... That's just so cool to me. I mean, I don't know, from, a, from an outsider looking in, that would have been so amazing. I mean, Mike... I mean, Good Lord, look at his career. Look at all the guys he's played with. Good God almighty. Oh, he's great. He's great. You know, and, you know, I did a record in New York with John Waite. Uh, it was called Ignition. He had a great band. We put a great band together uh, for him. Uh, boy, what a bunch of talented guys, too. It, it, and, you know, it, it, it's just great. It's I love for him. So I, you know, I've worked with a ton of people, and it's just so great to when you can just I don't know. You don't have to say, I think it's good when you kind of go, yeah, you know, that's good. What but, about walking you know, into those feels what great. About, I've, I've talked about that on the show a lot. We've talked about this um, limiting beliefs and self-doubt. I mean, we all have them, right? I mean, if we're 100% audience, honest, I mean, even today, you woke up, you're in the shower, you probably said some negative things that you probably would never say to anybody else. We, sure. And I, the moment that I got comfortable with that, that like, okay, it's never going to go away. And, and, and honestly, Neil's from doing the show and talking to people like yourself. It's like, like it never goes away. And you just kind of embrace it and get comfortable. And you know that that's not you. You know that when you hear that negative self-talk, that limiting belief saying, oh, you suck. And I'm sure you've walked into situations where you're like, what the fuck am I doing in here? I, if they only knew how unprepared I was for this or how, how right? No. How, do you de- how do you deal with those limiting I, beliefs yeah. and self-doubt? How do you deal with... I don't know. They don't go away. You know, I, I don't consider myself. No, I consider myself an average guitar player. I'm an average thing at, at, at a lot of things. I don't consider myself, uh, you know, it being that in any of those <laughs> keyboard writing, producing nothing. I can always come up with somebody else that does something better. It is, and it is, it's really, really difficult. It, it's really difficult. Um, and I got to tell you this, this thing happened. Uh, th- this is where drive comes from. I believe this is, this is what it really is about to me. Um, and, and 
it's tough. It's tough. You may not think that, but it's really tough because I, I consider so many people so much better than I am. I mean, I can't even watch YouTube with some of those guitar players. I mean, I just go, oh, my God, these guys, I shouldn't even play that. I listen to some of these keyboard players. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All the time. I listen to some of those great records. I go, geez, I'll never produce a record like that. You know, I, I all the time. You're only as good as the thing you just, you know, the next thing you're going to do. You, you forget. I don't have one gold record hanging in my house, and I got a lot of them. I got platinum, triple platinum, quadruple platinum. I don't have one hanging in the house. It doesn't mean anything to me at all. Zero. Absolute zero. So here's the thing. You never underestimate the chip on the shoulder, you know, and I, and I love, I love the Rocky movie, you know, the original Rocky, it's, it's basic, really basic, but right to the point when he tells, and I'll tell you the story and then you'll see what I'm saying with this. When he tells, he talks to Adrian, he says, yo, yo, Adrian, you know, that stuff they said about me on TV. And I said, it didn't matter. And then Adrian says, yeah, he goes, it did. Now that, is a turning point in that movie because that's when he said it did bother me i it you know pretending right so so here's the thing 1978 i just finished a record with rick derringer and uh it was great i played more piano than guitar on the record too which is which was cool because i i like i like piano a lot so i did it i finished it and there was a manager there um assistant manager he wasn't the main guy but he was an assistant one what is this going on here? Hold on one second. Okay. Um, so um, I finished doing my part on the record and they needed two more songs, but they didn't need me, any, need me anymore. So the one guy, I won't mention his name, says, you know what? How would you like a free ticket back to Cleveland? Like being a smart ass. And I said, I said, hmm, interesting. I go, okay, sure. I'll, I'll take a free t uh, ticket back. So as I'm getting ready to leave, this is all in my book that I'm writing because the the, the unbelievable universe and the way it works is just, I, I just, I can't understand how it all goes, but it does. On my way leaving to get my free ticket back to Cleveland, I get a call that says there's somebody that signed a record deal, looks wants to put a band together and wants to know if I can meet this person. And I says, well, I'm on my way back to Cleveland. And the guy tells me, he says, listen, if it doesn't work out, I just want you to meet this person. If you guys, if it doesn't work out, I'll get you a ticket the next day. I'll put you in a hotel. He says, but what about if it works out? He goes, are you willing to stay? And I go, absolutely. Well, you kind of know who that person was. So what happened is I I, I, I put the band together. We, be, we form a partnership, a, 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 a business or a musician partnership. We end up making this great record. The record gets done, and now the manager says, for Rick Derringer says, so when are you coming back? I says, I'm not coming back, but you're going to see me again. So what I did was, on one of the very first uh, second tour that we went out, we were playing uh, arenas, I had one of his band uh, open up for us. So I did it so I can walk the hallways and see him walk the hallways so he could just see yeah. me walking just so he has a little idea of next time I wouldn't be offering anybody free tickets to Cleveland with being a smart ass like that. I, I don't think that would, that worked out really well for me. And I never, went, I never went back with them. So. Ah, I love that story. I love that. Yeah. Well, it's, but that was a chip on my shoulder. I had a chip on my shoulder that says, okay, all right. Is that what you want to do? Okay. Yeah. The, the, the idea. power of the chip on the shoulder 
it can be a great never never underestimate. Right. It can be a great motivator. And it is it is about the tenacity, yeah. right? I mean, how many times this has come up in this show where we've talked to people, and it's less about the talent, and it's all about the never quitting, the the tenacity of never giving up. Correct. Absolutely. I mean, you know what the, Vince Lombardi says? He says, "We've never lost a game. We just ran right. out of time." You know that's. What you gotta I've do, talked to so you know, I've talked to so many it. entrepreneurs here, people who've accomplished some very significant things in life. I can't tell you how many times people have said, "It's like you know, I wasn't the the sharpest tool in the shed. I wasn't the richest. I didn't have the best resources. It's just that I didn't quit, and this guy next mm-hmm. to me did. That's the only reason why I'm standing right here right now." Yeah, it's you know, it, it, you can make your body do anything, but you got to convince your mind that you yeah. can. So I mean. It's the truth. It's the truth. There's so many. It's, you know what, the, the, the one thing that I got to say that you have to have as much as you have all this self doubt, you have to have the drive to think that she still can somehow try to, you got to, yeah, you you, know, the the idea of the try. It's like, you got to believe it, even though you physically don't feel it. Does that make sense? I know that is for me. Of course. Sometimes I can wake, sometimes I can wake up and I can be like, what the fuck am I doing? Nobody's listening to this. Whatever, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I can talk myself out of it. But I go, and we talked about gratitude earlier in the show. If I go back to that, it recenters me. And, and even though I don't feel it, I'll say it, if that makes sense. I'll say what I don't feel. Sure. And if I say that, correct, at least it, it gets me through the day sometimes. <laughs> I hear you. It's I'll tell you, you know, all I gotta hear is dig if you will the picture, you know, when doves cry by Prince and I just you know, when I find myself in triumphs of trouble, Mother Mary come yeah. I'm just saying, okay, what am I doing? Can I even be doing this job? <laughs> I mean, right. Come on, what are you nuts? I love I <laughs> what the heck am I? I thinking? love that you just you feel like is that, so is that is that the priority calling is to help these kind of up and coming musicians. Is that what you see your purpose is at the moment? Is that, is that the, is the number one priority? All musicians, yeah. all musicians. Yeah. I've always did all musicians. I just have a plan. I've, I consider myself lucky. Yeah. You know, I'm one of the luckiest people on the planet, you know, and, um, and, and I don't, I don't, the give back is not about guilt. No, I, I don't feel I, I guilty. Don't see that idea. I but, don't see guilt coming out of that. You yeah, know what I, I mean? mean? No, no, no. I'm not guilty at all, but I'm, I'm, but I'm just like, if I'm able to do all this and giving this, why can't I help somebody? If, if there's something that I, I can do or say that's going to change people's lives, I mean, why not offer that to them? You know, and I, I, I know, listen, you know, I keep saying this all the time. There's probably thousands of Hank Williamses that are in the basement of their house that, can't get out of the basement of their a brilliant writers. The next Bob yeah, Dylan, Cole Porter, you know, Irving Berlin, they're all over the place. What, but you, you don't know where they're at. They're struggling. They're who knows, you know? Um, yeah. That, I want to expose that's always bo- that's you know, that's always like. bothered me. I was talking about the wife about that the other day. I was like, it just bothers me that there's so many freaking talented artists out there and you never would know. Right. I mean, that's, I, I guess that's been the, the challenge and the problem forever, mm-hmm. right? I mean, just because you have a hit single doesn't mean you're talented. You know, for every one hit wonder, there's, you know, a thousand 
extremely talented musicians that are struggling in the basement, like you said, to your point. Yeah. And it's like. Yeah. I like to expose them people and help them. And, uh, you know, the other thing too, is I tell people too, in music is that, you know, music is any career is, or you golf, anything you can think of it as a hand and you have fingers, right? So you're a musician, you want to play in front of a hundred thousand people and you play, you want to play stadiums. Well, if that doesn't work out, you can be a songwriter. If that doesn't work out, you can be a producer. If that doesn't work out. You can be a film composer. If that doesn't work out. You can be a manager. If that doesn't work out. You can be an agent. You can, you know, there's on and on and on and on. You can develop software that, that, that helps musicians. I mean, there's all kinds of ways to, to have a successful this, life. may not be that one it, goal. I, maybe I've come, I've come, I think, honestly, I think I've come to this late in life, but I do think that I never looked at myself as a creative. I do think I'm more creative than I am. I always saw myself as kind of an operational guy. I think, but I'm not, I'm, I think I'm, mm. I'm, I'm more creative than I am operational. And I do think that like the answer to a lot of these challenges that we face as a society or with the world, it's, it's all around the arts. It is all around the creatives. I, I don't know. Am I naive mm -hmm. when I'm think, saying that? Yeah, I think everybody is. I, absolutely. Even the way you, you frame your words and sentences and your thoughts and it, I, you, you're extremely creative. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if you're a writer or if you write much, but you should. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think everybody, I think everybody has I that agree. in them. It's just, it's just, it, it's just, it, it gets bogged down with administration and like you say, and, and, and doing things. I just, you know, you know, you know, the endorphins that you get from writing words, uh, writing music, writing books, writing screenplays, that, that's a lot of endorphins. It's the same thing as, as hitting the three-point shot that's going to win the game. It's it's all the same. It's it's, all the it same. is weird about music, though, how, it, like I said, I remember I was telling you earlier how I, I'll sit there and, and uh, call them goosebump moments, like I was telling you about. I'll find songs and I'll just find that goosebump wow. moment. I'll listen to it over yeah. and over again. I don't know why. And I'll, I think that's why in movies and stuff too, the cinematic and how music is just so important. And, and I don't know. I wish I could. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Music and music and film can, wow. It can really bring out the, if you're trying for a heartache, it can really break you, rip your heart out. If you do, you do the right cue. There's no, I had Oliver, I had Oliver Stone on my show a couple weeks ago. And we were talking about the movie platoon. You know that, and that I know that mm -hmm. song has been used in a lot of movies, but I was, as I was doing my homework, I rewatched platoon and I've, I've seen platoon probably 30 times. It was a huge movie for me when I watched it, but that, you know, strings from Adagio, I can't I don't even know the exact name, but that there's a scene, you know, that, that, that strings from Adagio, you know, and he, where they're burning the village and that song, I'm like, good yeah. Lord, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, there's, it's powerful. You know, if you, if you take like another war movie, the, the deer hunter at the end of the deer hunter, when they have that beautiful acoustic guitar and that beautiful somber thing and they're all around and man. I, who, who are the artists that you're, powerful. who are the artists you're digging right now? I mean, who, who are you listening to? Well, I, you know, I, I drift all over the place. Like I, um, I like this. I go back. I, Sometimes, you know, you could get bogged down with the complexity of, of so many things going on in music. Sometimes you just want to hear some sort of raw yeah. moment, you know, 
And, you know, people talk about rock being dead, you know, because everything is hip hop, yeah, yeah. you know, there's, you know, you, you're walking down the street and you got an 18 year old kid in the car and he's, he's reciting words from some rap, you know, from rap guys out there that I don't know if he understands what they're talking about, but he's, he's saying it right. So, you know, I try to be all over the place. You know, I still, I still love opera. I still love uh, Pavarotti. I listen, I listen to him. I listen to this, this band, Barron's Whitfield and the Savages. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, they were around a couple of years back. Yeah. They're, they're fun. They're, they're uh, real simple, just great players and, and fun stuff. Uh, um, uh, I, I did a record for, I, well, I did two records for a band called the Dell. Oh Arts man. And, you know, uh, a good friend. I was going to talk. I, I, yes. Like I forgot that. I'm glad you brought them up. I can't figure out why they weren't bigger than they were. You listen to a Dell Lord song. I mean, it is so upbeat. It's fun. Mm. It, it reeks of having a good yep. time. I, you know, and it yep. came out at the right time. Like well, it, it, it's MTV era. Uh-huh. Why weren't they a bigger hit than they were? Why? I don't understand that. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Um, Scott Kettner is a really close, great friend of mine. I consider him my brother. And I did, did two records, produced two records for the Delors, and him and I wrote songs together. And in fact, I got a Christmas record that's hopefully coming out this year, holiday record, where him and I wrote some songs for brand new, so all original songs. Um, it's about heart, uh, heartbreak, heart, uh, Love found, love lost, the end of the year. Not just Christmas yeah, yeah. stuff, but what happens to everybody's lives towards the end of the year, right? So um, if you want to hear brilliant uh, words and greatness, listen to Palm of the River by the Palm Del of the Lawrence. River? Uh, my God, Palm of the River, yeah. Oh, I'm telling you, he's, he's, he's as close to genius as you're going to get as far as a songwriter goes and lyricists is just Those guys are great. So why? Yeah. Why? I, 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 sometimes I think maybe, maybe they were just, they were, they were too, too, uh, too deep. Maybe, but you know, listen, just, and you listen I, I don't to know. that second and third album. I mean, those are the ones you produce, right? You didn't produce the first album. Is that correct? Did you produce the first album or not? Yeah. Correct. The sec- no, I did. Uh, I think second or third. Hmm. They're just like great too, and they fit into the the era that they came out. I mean, there's no, I don't know. It just, I, I, I don't know. The Del Fuegos were yeah, good they too. Were good. Uh, they would always get those two bands mixed up. There was a whole kind of sound that was going on. Was you know the two guitar players, bass, drums, uh, Rootsy, uh, Americana. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what you would really want to call that. Um, but I still love that. That that's my point. I still love that sound. That's where you know Barons Whitfield comes from in the Savages has that too. Um and it's easy to listen to it. It's it's just it's just fun to me because I it, it just it's it's moving, it's rocking. I, I love swing jump blues and I still listen to that all the time. So, you know, I don't I don't really go deep into to the modern world. Yeah, stuff, I'm with you. Uh, did you ever far. get to did you ever I I love Big Joe Turner, by the way. And um, did you ever get a chance to record with him at all? I don't see anything out in your no. – Did you ever meet him and talk with him? No, I didn't. No, I never – I wish I met him too. I never met him. Um, I I actually patterned uh, the record yeah. True Love that I did, uh, the Stream Blues, off of uh, Big Joe Turner and the Roomful of Blues record. 
they did called Night Train, mm-hmm. they called it. Um, just because I had a certain sound to it. So I, I, I took the horn section from Room Full of Blues and their drummer, Frank uh, Johnny Rossi, who was a brilliant guy. Um, but he told me stories about Big Joe, which were phenomenal. So it's great. I mean, you listen to the Shake Rat and Roll version so much. It's the the absolute best version uh-huh. of any Shake Rat and Roll out there. Beats Elvis. It beats um uh why, why is his name escaping me? Oh yeah, everybody. Bill, Bill Haley. Haley. It just totally just de- yeah. destroys yeah. it. You know? I love Big Joe Turner. Well, it's because it's got the risk. Oh, yeah, the risk gate gate opening about the girl, the silhouette in their dress and all that other stuff. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I love it. He's a great one. Man, Neil, it's so fun to talk to you. Look at this. It's been an hour and 10 minutes, if you can believe it. Um, Maybe it's the the three-chord strange collaboration that's made it go fast for me. Did, did we talk about everything that we wanted? I mean, I could talk to you for hours, but I mean, did we get everything that we wanted to talk about uh, for the sake of our listeners? Did, did, did we get sure. everything out? Sure. Yeah, we got the music ambassadorship. We got all that stuff. You got your somewhat weirdo uh, leadership qualities that you think I have. <laughs> uh, you do have them, brother. You do have them for sure. <laughs> you do have I mean, it, the, you know, the fact that you have this in your – you raised a great family. You married. You 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 stayed true to your ideals. And I mean, again, it wasn't perfect. I'm I'm not kidding myself. I'm no. I'm sure within those. I don't even know how many years you've been married, but 30, 40 years you've been married. It had to be fraught with challenges and raising those kids because it has been with me. You know, it yeah. hasn't been perfect. Of course. Yeah. Of course. But the fact that you. You know, I'll say this one thing though. I'll say, I'm going to pass this along because I try to get this out there to everybody I talk to. And I try to get people to do less of this too. There's an assumption plus judgment equals X, right? So people assume something about someone, then they immediately judge them. And for most of the times, what percent do you think they're wrong? Oh, yeah, 100%, right? Now that's only if you imagine that the judgment is a negative judgment. And for the most times, it is negative. You know, I, I, I mentioned this a lot too. And this is, this is the thing that's always been, it, it's been a little bit weird for me, you know, uh, and hurtful at times is that people assume something. Say, say you, um, you watch a, a movie or you, well, you watch a certain actor or actress and they play the bad guy or the bad girl, right? You immediately assume somehow in some weird sick head of yours, or, you know, not you, but in just in general, that that person's probably, oh, geez, I'd never want to meet them. It's going to be a complete idiot. When you meet that person, the nicest person you probably ever, and the nicest actor you ever met. You see some of those comedians, happy guys, girls, whatever, hey, and you go to meet them and they're like, well, I'm not happy at all. It's, it's like, yeah, miserable and weird. In my world, people assume something and they judge. And it's really weird that they base their judgment on some strange thing that maybe they would behave that way in a relationship or not. It's very, very weird to me. Like there's, there's a mystery that, is, that soon will be uncovered about the, the music relationship between Patricia and I and how we started and what this whole thing was really based on, right? Because there's an assumption that people that don't know have. And uh, it's just humorous to me, but also hurtful at times because they don't understand and they'll never understand what it really was and really is and really will always be, right? 
So I try to get people to get off the assessment, assessment, assuming and judgment quote uh, fundamental there to try to get them to not be so judgmental and to when they assume. Well, I don't, I don't have anybody can be judgmental about you, Neil. I mean, because like I said, I think I, I, when I looked at you and obviously I've knew, I've known who you were for a long time, obviously being a fan of your music, but as I've done more homework on you, you. knowing that we're going to have this conversation, that, that intuitive side of you, the integrity side of you, again, knowing that you're not a perfect human being, I know you're a flawed human being, just like I am. But the fact that you try to inten- oh, that you try to intentionally get up every day and you try to do something, and the fact that you've you've added value to the world means a lot to me. And um, you're a perfect guest for the show. And I, I just I, I think you've made the you've made the campsite better than you found it. And and I think that's and you continue well. You're not done. But um, I think I I don't think there's anything else we could ask. You know, and, and it, to me that. Well, to me, you. that that that's an A plus in my book. So, man, thanks. Well, thank you. I appreciate the. How can word. people learn more about three chords? And as I'm sitting there, uh, you go to you can chords. see how much I drank. Yeah. There you go. You go to three. You can see how much I drank in this it's this episode. Good. So, yeah, well, it's, it's smooth. very good. It's, it's, it's well, I, everybody. Everybody, um, you if you want to know about the music ambassadorship program or any of the expressions and all the different taste profiles that I have through three chord bourbon, you go to three chord bourbon.com. You just got to remember chord spelled like a guitar chord right up there. Chord. Yes, sir. It says chord, yeah. Guitar chord. And then you can read all about it. And then if there is musicians that want to see if they can join into our music ambassadorship program, they can reach out. See what I'll have about. links to all that in the show notes, everybody. What a fantastic conversation, Neil. I knew this. I, you know, I've been doing this for almost, this, I'm in my 10th year, Neil. And that, and this is, this is why I do this show is because I get to talk to people like you. It's so much fun. It's the reason why I get up every day. And so I, it's such a fun conversation. Thank you. I enjoyed talking with you as well. You're very, very, you have a lot of um, very interesting ways of saying and your use or your use of the vocabulary you should think about writing if you're not writing already you need to do yeah there's a i've had a lot of mentors saying to me there's a book inside of me and it's just it's one of those thorns in my sides neil that's like it's like every day it's like hanging over my head like damically sword it's like why aren't i fucking writing this book you know i'll give you let me let me let me help you with this let me tell you what i think you should try doing Mm-hmm. Okay, here's what you got to do. Don't write a memoir. Don't do that. What you should write is a story. Yeah. I never thought about that. Fiction. Fiction? Total, total story. Fiction. But insert your life and what you know in it. You can even be a character, but not necessarily be known to the people that are reading the book that you're a character in that story, but write it like that. So it has nothing to do with a memoir, has nothing to do with, maybe it has nothing to do with flying. Maybe that's only a secondary subject in the, in the book somehow. And just do that. No one's ever given me that advice. So it's completely different. than You're the first person that's given me that. And it's completely different than any. Yeah. Because I you think you're, you're very, listen, you're, you're that clear and you've had a couple of drinks of three cold <laughs> bourbon. Hey, sip, reflect, repeat, right? That's exactly Respect Respect the moment. moment. Be good to one another. Yeah, you're the best, man. Thanks Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Richard. Thanks. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks so much for tuning into the show. I hope you got some value out of this episode. If you did, please do me a huge favor. Tell somebody about this show. 
tell your spouse, tell your kids, tell your coworkers. Let them know about the value that Dose of Leadership brings to your world. Go to doseofleadership.com. You can learn more about my services. If you're looking for somebody to speak, teach, or coach about leadership, I'm your guy. I'm known for my ability to transform individuals and organizations, teaching them the concept of creating a culture of decentralized leadership. I do think that is the secret sauce to facing all the challenges that we face today. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. I look forward to the next time we're together. And until the meantime, make it a great one.